Good afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. It's going to be a fun week. It's going to be a fun couple weeks. We're headed toward playoff baseball. Not a thousand percent. Not even a hundred percent if you look at the Fangraphs playoff odds. But it's getting pretty close. The Toronto Blue Jays split a four-game series with the Tampa Bay Rays. Their magic number to clinch playoff spot now down to four. So any combination of Toronto Blue Jays wins and Baltimore Orioles losses, once those two things hit four, Toronto Blue Jays are playoff bound. Downside, the division is out of reach. The Yankees' magic number is two. Weird scenario uh, brewing where depending on what happens in Jays-Yankees today and tomorrow and in Red Sox-Orioles tomorrow, today and tomorrow, uh, Wednesday could see both the Yankees and Jays clinch at the same time if the Yankees beat the Jays. Be a little bit of a an oddity to lose and clinch a, a playoff spot. Either way, this is how close we are where we can start playing the, well, what if this and that happens just a couple days from now? Jays could technically clinch as early as tomorrow if Baltimore struggles. Yeah, because they play tonight. There are only four games in baseball tonight. Jays have all the attention with Aaron Judge in town. Aaron Judge, by the way, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break a rule here. I know nobody cares about anyone else's fantasy team. I was in a semifinal last night for fantasy baseball. I needed one Xander Bogarts hit to win, and that game got called before the end of the game with Xander Bogarts due up. It's a rough one. Anyway, I mentioned that because Aaron Judge did not homer in that game. He didn't homer in that series. So he comes into Toronto for three, sitting on 60. That'll come up throughout the show. I'm sure it'll come up over the next couple of days. Apologies to the people who don't like to hear about the Yankees in the text line, but the Yankees are here for three games. So, of course, we're going to talk about them. A quick wrap of the weekend, though, on the Jays' side. Sunday, the Bats actually get to Shane McClanahan which is really nice to see. He had a monster Alec Manoa performance on Saturday. Ross Stripling has a, a solid outing coming off a rocky one. You get a couple of good days from the bullpen Saturday, Sunday. And as we'll talk to Ben Nicholson Smith about shortly, it is officially autumn now, which means it is officially George Springer season. This seems to happen all the time. Maybe it's one of those things where it's anecdotal and our memories play tricks on us or whatever. You know, clutch is not statistically provable. Throw it out. It's George Springer time. Late September into October. Ready to see it. He's uh, he's picking up steam here, no matter what's going on with that elbow. So that's fun to see. By the way, Springer with a, a career postseason OPS of 900 since 63 playoff games. That includes a World Series MVP. This guy's made for this time of year. It's very exciting. Uh, we'll talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith about some of that stuff momentarily. We're going to talk to June Lee of ESPN and Around the Horn. Uh, he's been on the Yankees beat for the bulk of this season, so we're going to get the 
lowdown on the judge watch and see how the Yankees line up, not just for this series, but a potential playoff series. Although the Jays may not have to worry about the Yankees until the ALCS. So here's the thing about where the Jays sit. By the way, we're also going to talk to Alex Wong of the Raptor show later. He wrote a terrific piece at Toronto star uh, in the weekend edition about the Jays social media team and how much that's meant to the fabric and culture of the team and fan base. Um, So we'll talk to him around four o'clock and again, Ben Nicholson Smith momentarily, but to refresh you on how this year's playoff format works, because it's new right now, the Jays sit in the top wildcard spot. They're not going to catch the Yankees. They're almost surely going to make the playoffs how they land wildcard one, two, three has a big impact. If you're wildcard one, you get home field. If you're wildcard three, you get the slightly preferable matchup with Cleveland. You also, if you end in wildcard three, get into the Yankees side of the bracket. You don't reseed. So um, home field is probably the Jays biggest goal right now. If you don't get wild card one, though, wild card three is so much better than wild card two for a bunch of reasons. Uh, well, let's talk about what this next 10 days looks like, what's on the line. Let's talk about it with Ben Nicholson Smith of Sportsnet and of At the Letters. Ben, how are you, man? Doing great. Just uh, here at Rogers Center overlooking the field. It's pretty quiet right now. No players out there for the moment, but uh, expecting a pretty busy homestand here. I believe the Yankees didn't get in until like 2.30 last night, so I'd imagine probably not eager to get to the park early today. Um, I remember when the Sosa and Maguire races were going on. I was very young. I'm still very young, Ben. Um, But I remember it a little bit. People would come out and like watch the batting practice and stuff like that. Uh, Are you expecting that kind of show with Aaron Judge as well? Like, like, is this a people are going to get there early kind of game or at least the media are going to keep an eye on, on the batting practice more than usual day? Well, I think the second part is definitely true. I think there will be a massive media contingent here for the Yankees is they are potentially going to clinch the division as soon as tonight. And for Aaron judge, who's chasing uh, history, uh, doing some incredible things at the plate, the media contingent will be massive. Now, Monday night, uh, you know, school night. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think if I had to guess, I'd throw 31,000 out there as a number. I, I think just knowing how challenging it can be to get to a game, you know, a couple hours ahead of time with traffic and everything. I, I don't think we'll see those, you know, 1998-esque crowds in the outfield. But once first pitch is thrown, I think it'll be packed. And it's going to be a really cool vibe just to see, you know, what it's like as fans brace for the possibility of history here. Certainly every at-bat that Judge has taken in the last week has, has been uh, under a huge microscope. And I think that will only intensify as the series progresses here. Uh, you're a big baseball fan, obviously, in addition to covering it as a job. How excited are you for these next couple of days to to potentially get to cover history? Yes, from the Blue Jays side, but still, that's a that's a story that Blue Jays could be a big part of. Yeah, I think I think it would be really cool. I mean, I, I like you. I remember the Sosa McGuire Bonds chases. Um, I was a kid at the time, basically. Um, and you know, you take it in, you're, you're amazed by it. You have a sense of what it means, but it's, it's different, you know, 20 years later, um, to be here covering it. I I hope he does it this week. Like it would be really fun to see. Um, and I know I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, 
you know, that I want the bad things to happen to the Blue Jays, but realistically, they're not winning the division. So let's see some baseball history. Let's um, let's see it happen here. I think it would be pretty cool. Um, I'm fascinated just by what it would be like. So, you know, be careful what you wish for. Maybe it'll be total <laughs> chaos. But I think uh, as a baseball fan, it would be cool to see. Also, as I pointed out on the show on Friday, when a couple people gave me gruff for wanting to see Judge's home run myself, he can hit a solo shot in like a 12-1 Jays win. It doesn't have to be like a game-winning home run. He can just hit one in a loss. That's fine. Um, Curious, Ben, I know you tweeted some stats out a little bit earlier that were Jays relevant, but as you go through the Aaron Judge as we kind of reflect on the season and think about things like MVP, think about where he's going to land with the home run total. What is the most fascinating part to you about what he's done this year? Honestly, I just think it's fascinating to watch him in these situations. And I don't mean so much his swing, although his swing is, you know, it's incredible. <laughs> the way the ball leaves the bat is, is something to behold when he makes contact. But what I mean is watching how he handles the pressure, watching how he handles the media, these are things that we don't see every year. It's a, an incredibly intense amount of pressure, and it's different than even than Albert Pujols chasing 700 or different than Miguel Cabrera, who homered here last year, 500 home runs. That was a cool moment to witness, but the, the amount of scrutiny the judge faces is, is different. And so seeing how he responds to it, and he's been very uh, collected in the way that he's done that, he's been very consistent in the way that he's talked about the team and the team goals first and foremost, but that can't be an easy thing. I mean, there's a reason that people talk about Roger Maris losing his hair during that chase, (laughs) right? It's a lot of stress and judge seems to be handling it really well. So we can look at some, uh, there are a number of ways to try to capture exactly what Aaron judge has done and sorting by home runs is the easiest one. And the most important one, you can also sort over on Statcast by barrels per batted ball event. So how often when you put the ball in play, do you barrel it? And barrel is exactly what it sounds like. You square it up well. You, you Basically, it's a, it's a stand-in for, man, you got a hold of that one. And there are some Jays pretty high up on the leaderboards, and they are so far from Aaron Judge. Um, I believe Chapman and Teoscar Hernandez, both in the top 25 in the league, both in the top uh, 15 or so in the American League, Man, how do we even contextualize that where the Jays who are having very good batted ball seasons just aren't even close? And that's before getting to that, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's one of the kings of exit velocity, can't match Judge either. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's It really is. And it's, you know, it goes to show that these are not 60 wall scrapers. <laughs> you know, like he's, he's absolutely crushing it. And I think I, I haven't refreshed this in the last couple of days, so the numbers could have shifted. But a couple of days ago, I was looking at it, and Judge had as many homers, 60, as at the time, Fernando Tatis Jr., or excuse me, sorry, Manny Machado and Vlad Guerrero Jr. So those guys each hovering around the 30 home run mark, Machado having a great year, Vlad Jr. having a very good year, Judge has as many homers as both of those guys combined. So, you know, it's, it's incredible what he's doing. I think he's absolutely locked in. Even last night, some of his takes on an 0-2 count against the Red Sox, like he is truly just locked in. It's, it's not just the home runs, but he's doing incredible things at the plate. 
Vlad and Tatis together passed Judge on the weekend, though. Judge ice cold, having not homered in, I think, five in a row. Tatis and Vlad now a combined, or uh, Machado and, and Vlad now a combined 61. So uh, Aaron Judge has fallen behind in the home run race if we're allowed to team up two all-stars to try to match, uh, to try to match his stats. Let's pivot it. Actually, I, I have one more on Aaron judge for you. Um, a story idea for you, if you will, I'd imagine Zach Hample is going to be here tonight. I have seats in left field. Will you write about the epic job? I do boxing him out to keep him from that ball. If it happens. Well, first of all, you have my full endorsement to box him out. Um, as long as you know, as long as it's not him, I think that uh, that we can all be content in wherever that ball lands. Um, second of all, no, I will not write a story. <laughs> However, I will retweet. I will definitely retweet. I'm sure we would have something on the Sportsnet account. Um, I will retweet it with my full endorsement. So, uh, you know, best of luck to you out there in left field tonight. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so let's let's pivot to the Jays side of things. They have this weekend where they split the series with Tampa Bay after the first two where they give up double digit runs in both of them. Some of the normal trop nonsense happens. They turn it around and they, they win to you get some Whitmerfield Tropicana field magic. Do you have more confidence coming out of that series that if the Jays had to head to Tampa for a wildcard series that they might be okay? Not really. Um, I wouldn't say it's more. I wouldn't say it's less. I think the House of Horrors stuff is it's, it's kind of amusing at times. It can be frustrating, of course, for Jays fans at times. I think it's honestly like it's one of those things that longtime Jays fans feel probably more than the players on this team. I don't think the players on this team are particularly concerned about it. I mean, I, I know they lost there in 2020, the last time they are in the playoffs, but I think by and large, it's just another spot. And from what I see, this group is extremely confident in themselves, regardless of where they are. Now, they want to be at home. They definitely want to be at home. But if they're on the road, I don't think it's a huge difference to play in Cleveland versus play at the top. I can't believe that this current Blue Jays team isn't worried that Juan Francisco and Anthony Ghost couldn't hit at the Trop 10 years ago, and that has a, an impact on the team now. You mentioned the home field. We're headed into the final 10 days of the season here. Nine games left for the Jays. They got the three against the Yankees, an off day, three here against Boston, and then they'll go on the road to play three at Baltimore. Home field is the bar for them. How much urgency do you think they feel to lock that up as early as possible so that you know the the big talking point last week was well would you start Manoa in a game 162 to lock up home field how much urgency is there to make sure that they don't even have to answer that kind of question I, I do think that they are much better off if they don't have to answer that kind of question I think as for the urgency They'll have urgency tonight when they play against the Yankees. They'll, they'll use their bullpen with a sense of urgency. Um, we saw them save some of their top relievers yesterday uh, using the likes of Kikuchi and Richards. So they'll be ready to go. They will be ready to, to play aggressively and manage aggressively tonight. And then that's really all they can do because you can't manage aggressively on Sunday today. It just has to be today, and then you go from there. So I, I, I know I'm, just, I'm pushing myself into the one-day-at-a-time cliche here, but you know, yes, they need to they need to secure home field, but there's not really that much they can do about that today. Right. And they do control their own destiny in that 
you know, they're in the lead right now. If they were to win out, there's nothing Tampa can do about it or nothing Seattle can do about it. Um, So I understand that aspect of it. What was your take on John Schneider's comments that they would use Manoa in that spot? Really interesting. Really interesting. Um, You know, I want to hear more about it in the next couple of days. Like my take is if that rules Manoa out of the wildcard series, probably not a good idea. Now, I also don't think that using him, let's say for argument's sake, 70, 75 pitches on the final game of the season, then he could come back on three days rest. Obviously, he's never done that as a pro, so uncharted territory, but playoffs. So he could, in theory, come back on three days rest. Does he have 75 more pitches then? Now, that's not you know, for me to say whether they would do that. I, I wouldn't rule that out as a possibility. But certainly home field matters, but also having Alec Manoa in your wild card rotation matters a lot. I agree with you. And I, I think that the Manoa aspect is a bigger one. Now, how he would do in a game three on shorter rest and maybe only throwing 75 pitches or something like that, we can't possibly run those numbers. We can't quantify it because it hasn't, he hasn't done it before. Uh, but the big thing to me, the, the scary thing is, well, you get eliminated from the playoffs and your best pitcher doesn't throw. And that's, that's a hard one to get past for me. But again, like you said, they can only take this a day at a time and best case scenario over this last 10 days. Um, it's something that by, you know, Monday or Tuesday of next week, they already know where they're, where they're locked in. Um, we also, here's the other thing, Ben is, it's pretty clear at this point, and Arden Zwelling wrote about it last night or this morning at sportsnet.ca and kind of went through the scenarios and, and the whys. Um, wild card spot number three, quite preferable to wild card spot number two. Uh, if you are going for wild card spot number one, you, you kind of got to make sure you get it, right? Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't you don't want to be wild card number two. I don't even think you want to be wild card number three. I, I, I agree that wild card three is preferable. But really, you know, for a lot of reasons, like competitive reasons in an extra inning situation, home field helps you, the fans, uh, we've seen it. Like the last, in 2015, we saw the impact. I'm, I'm convinced that the Rangers don't make those errors in, in game five of the division series if that game is in Arlington, Texas. Like I, a home field can be a real thing in the playoffs. And so, you know, especially for a fan base that has not had the chance to cheer these guys on, in person in six years now, that's like not an insignificant amount of time for six years between playoff games. You know, I, I think that it makes a lot of sense to push for number one, three, definitely preferable to two, but I think there's a big gap between one and three. I, I would agree with that for sure. Um, so let's take a look at, obviously Jays can only take that one day at a time. There are some things that we can take a, a bigger picture look at here um, in terms of what's important to us over these next 10 days. And, and I think, you know, the toughest thing that the Jays are going to have to navigate is how much they use the bullpen and what that bullpen looks like heading into the postseason. Um, there are also some bullpen decisions to make because we can be pretty sure Six of those guys are locked in, maybe seven if you include Trevor Richards. Um, do you have a feeling on what the bullpen would look like if the playoffs started today? And more to the point, do the Jays have a feeling on that, or are they still deciding on those last couple spots, do you think? Yeah, I wonder too, Like, do you need a long reliever in the division series? Maybe not if you just roster all four starting pitchers, which of course they would do for the division series, then maybe that extra starter who's not pitching becomes your de facto long guy. And you don't have to roster for argument's sake, a Kikuchi or a Mitch White. So, 
you know, there are some different things that they can do there. Um, I, I do think it's probably going to come down to the wire. Uh, we've seen, you know, guys like whether it's a, a Zach Pop pitching uh, well um, at times or certainly Julian Merriweather pitching his way off of what we would now assume to be the playoff road, or playoff bullpen. So I still think that that's going to go down to the wire. And remember, too, that they can change it from the wildcard series to the division series. So we might actually see some different-looking rosters if the Jays make it that far because the demands of, of the division series are different than they would be in the wildcard series. I think, too, you look at the makeup of some of these teams and who you're playing against. For yeah. argument's sake, Cleveland is pretty lefty-heavy, and the Yankees only have one true lefty who isn't a switch hitter. So in the scenario where you fall the wildcard three – you maybe prioritize a second lefty in your pen against Cleveland that you absolutely don't need to use in uh, in the Yankees series, whether that's Kikuchi or, or Matt Gage or a Foster Griffin or whatever. Um, do you one more on the bullpen for you, Ben? We've got nine games left here. The Buffalo Bison season ends on Wednesday. They have three and a third games left to play. They have to finish uh, a postponed game today before they get into their main one. Could you obviously, if injury happens, someone could come up. If um, you know they they have to overuse someone and churn, someone could come up. But do you think there's a scenario where someone gets a nod just so they can get a look at another guy down the stretch here? Yeah, I mean, certainly the name Pearson is the name that comes to mind in that situation. Um, you know, it's uh, you would never rule it out. They still have ten days remaining in the season. Uh, I think. I'd personally be curious to see what Nate Pearson can do, but at the same time, it would have to be in low leverage to begin. Uh, you're obviously not putting him into high leverage. And if the Jays don't call him up within the next four or five days, then you're not really giving him much of a chance to ramp up or much of a chance to impress anything upon the Blue Jays' decision makers. And so we'll learn a lot about how they view him if he remains in AAA after the AAA season ends. So, you know, at that point, kind of a logical decision point to say, you know, there's a week left, Red Sox and Orioles. Does that mean uh, the circumstance warrant taking a look at Pearson or um, does his performance warrant that? Then you can take a look there. But, you know, even if in a best, best, best case scenario for him, he's the last reliever in the bullpen and pitching low leverage. You also have to decide then if he's coming up in the regular season to get a couple of those reps, who, who's gone? Are you optioning Zach Pop to that kind of purgatory when AAA doesn't exist, when he's been pretty solid for you? There's always the Kikuchi Phantom IL option, but um, not an obvious space there as well. And at least for right now, you, well, not even for right now, Mitch White's going to make at least two more starts the rest of the way um, as well, how it looks like. Um, on the position player side, I, I know you and I have talked about this uh, before, and we we don't need to rehash some of the who's in, who's out on the position player side, but Lourdes Gurriel Jr. still on the IL, Santiago Espinal now on the IL with an oblique issue as well. Do we have a sense of when those guys may be ready? And if they're less than 100%, does that change some of the accounting with a playoff roster? Uh, yeah, I think that for timing, you know, Espinal, he's still probably in a recovery mode. Um, I wouldn't think that he's to the point of ramping up, although we'll get some clarity on that within the next hour or so from John Schneider. Um, and as for Lourdes Gurriel Jr., my understanding was that he was further back um, and that he's not imminently returning to the Blue Jays either. You know, I think that 
if nothing else, you'd want him back for four or five regular season games uh, to get his timing back against the Red Sox, against the Orioles. Um, so we'll see if that's possible for Lourdes because that would be important instead of throwing him in cold to a playoff game. Um, but yeah, I think these, these injuries definitely have the potential to impact uh, playoff roster decisions. And, you know, it's funny, like, I'm not saying the Whit Merrifield trade is going to go down as some huge coup for the Blue Jays, but this is kind of why he make that move because he can fill in a corner outfield and he can fill in a second base. And as we saw on the weekend, he got hot and contributed offensively. So, you know, this is, this is kind of why you make that trade on the position player side. And I still think the Jays could have done one more move on the pitching side to give them a bit more depth, but they're certainly, you know, in a relatively good spot here with 10 days to go. The Tropicanta dote. That's the, that's <laughs> yeah. the name for Whit Merrifield. I'm sticking with it. That's a, that's one where if they end up in wildcard two and they're at Tampa Bay, no question. Whit Merrifield's on the playoff roster. Uh, not even remotely a conversation. Uh, ben, before I let you go, over these next 10 days, give me a couple bullet points on what does the best case scenario look like for the Blue Jays over this next week and change? Okay, so first of all, it's winning. Um, and winning, let's say you go six and four, uh, and then, or sorry, they have, they have nine games left. So let's say you go six and three, which is a lot to ask. Um, but if you go six and three, you're probably wild card one and you're at home. And if you go six and three, where you know enough of those wins happen early, you can probably shy away from using Alec Manoa in that game 162, and your rotation's pretty much set. So really, it's, it's about results on the field still. And secondly, I think it's about getting Lourdes back and getting him the chance for some reps, and ideally you get Espinal back too um, and get him healthy and keep everyone else healthy because you can't take that for granted with 10 days remaining. Absolutely. The health is the, the biggest thing. I think you know if I were going to... Tight, tighten it and just, you know, the headline item. I would love to head into the Baltimore series, not sweating home field advantage. I think yeah. that would be really great. And then you can uh, you can do all sorts of things to get guys rest and, and prioritize that stuff. Um, ben Nicholson-Smith, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I will see you a little later. And, uh, yeah, you'll see me on the, on the highlights, keeping Zach Campbell from home run number 61. I look forward to that. That should that will uh, that will make my night if that happens. So uh, good luck in the in the bleachers there, and uh, thanks for having me on, Blake. Thanks, Ben. Uh, that's me, Radio Bully, Bleacher Bully, Blake Murphy. That was Ben Nicholson Smith of Sportsnet, and at the letters, let's take a break. Let's uh, at the risk of going over Yankees. Look, it's the Yankees. They're close. They could clinch the division tonight, and Aaron Judge could tie the American League and New York Yankees home run record in a single season. Uh, apologies. You got to talk Yankees on a day like today. We're going to talk to June Lee of ESPN and around the horn about it next. He's been on the Yankees beat all year. He also has uh, some interesting stuff on the Yankees rotation, what that could look like in the playoffs. June Lee next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590, the fan. Hey, it's Ailish from the Fan Morning Show. Join us every morning at 8.30 for Wake and Rake, presented by Unibet, online sportsbook and casino. Crazy about the odds. On Sportsnet 590, the fan. 19 plus. Play responsibly. Ontario only. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That's Bob Marley. Not singing about that, Judge, but there is an interesting question in the text line that 
what if the Jays just uh, opt out of the judge experience? What if they just don't judge this week? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, first, we're going to talk to our pal June Lee of ESPN of Around the Horn. Uh, June, what's going on, man? Uh, the Twitter spaces you host with Jeff Passan last night got rained out. Is this the first instance of a Twitter spaces being rained out? Uh, we held the Twitter space. It was, uh, it was before the game. Oh, I thought it was during. I thought it was like a live watch along thing. My bad. No, no, no. It was like a pregame. Like, uh, it was like one of those trying to, it was, we're like uh, wrestling promoters trying to hype up the, the game on ESPN, I guess. You've been doing your wrestling research since the last time we talked. I love it. Uh, I'm not sure if I've done any more research. I just know that wrestlers promote very, very well. Of course. Uh, June, in seriousness, or half seriousness, I guess, because that's about as serious as I get, uh, you are a Boston guy. I know you're on the Yankees beat, and you're a proper objective journalist, so this doesn't really matter, but was there a small part of you that was like, oh, I'm glad Aaron Judge didn't get the record home run against the Boston Red Sox? Um, not really. It's like one home run. I, I think I, I've kind of let go of any results-oriented joy with the Red Sox <laughs> this year, just given the fact that they're in last place and they're not making the playoffs. Um, I think as you know, someone who wanted to see Judge's homer last night and being at the game, that was kind of what I wanted just because, I mean, the atmosphere at Yankee Stadium has been just, you know, off the charts where every single pitch feels like an absolute event. Everyone is, has their phones up. Uh, and, and it just feels like everyone is waiting for a moment to happen, and for it to not happen, it was just like, oh man, you know, it's just like a, it's like a whoopee cushion losing air. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been cool to watch the booing of every ball. The like, there was one point, yeah, I think yesterday where a Judge has a double and a walk, and like there are boos from the crowd. It's like not at him, obviously, <laughs> at the situation, but. You know, he's got to do some some smart baseball within all the home run hitting. That's why he's near the top of the league in every stat category. Uh, but, June, what's it been like to be on Judge Watch pretty much every day for the last little while? Obviously, the Yankees had have had a, a kind of dramatic season where a lot of ups and downs, and Aaron Judge has been the kind of one constant up. But the last couple of weeks, it feels like it's turned into uh, kind of another thing altogether. Yeah, but like it's funny because like I was talking to Aaron Judge yesterday. He doesn't he hasn't really been speaking a lot to the media, but he kind of held court a little bit yesterday. Spoke to a handful of reporters before the game, and he was talking about the fact that during the Pittsburgh series, he was hitting doubles, and he would get to second base, and he would stand at second base, and he and he looked around, and he was like, Wait, "Why aren't people cheering? Like, <laughs> are people disappointed that I just not gonna run and help this team?" With a ball game, that's kind of the weird, utope, like dystopic reality that Aaron Judge is living in right now. And he was talking about the fact that you know he's already a guy who has a hard time walking around New York because he's six seven and he's Aaron <laughs> Judge and he's one of the most famous baseball players on the planet. But even more so recently, he's been kind of staying at home, trying to avoid uh, kind of going out on the streets because he's getting a lot of questions from fans. Doesn't want to be followed around by TV cameras. And so there's just this level of, you know, momentous occasion happening. And, you know, I talked to guys on the Yankees, and you know, there's been kind of this bubbling of, like, I mean, Aaron, what he's doing this year is really special. But people haven't necessarily been willing to go that extra distance being like, well, he's going to break Roger Maris' home run record. And everyone on the Yankees is almost like a baseball fan. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's two players, I think, in baseball who have kind of inspired this kind of awe, this childlike awe among baseball players themselves who are off, you know, they've seen so many things at this point, so many great athletes, but Aaron judge going for this home run record has inspired this like childlike 
awe and joy among his teammates. And then Shohei Otani does that on a day-to-day basis by doing <laughs> what he does. Um, and so it, I, I think that that is kind of what has transpired over the course of the entire season where, like you mentioned, Judge has been the consistent threat of this Yankees lineup. And uh, I think people have been just in awe of his consistency and how he kind of goes about his business on a day-to-day basis. So you mentioned Shohei Otani and – I don't want to drag you down in the debates again, but I am I am going to ask. It was only Let's do it. Let's do it. yeah, it was only three weeks ago that you had tweeted out like, "Hey, if the Yankees continue to slide," and obviously Aaron Judge has had a, a very notable three weeks since then. So the conversation has changed. I think he I think he's hit you know six home runs since you uh, since you tweeted this. But at that point, it looked like maybe there was a window open for Shohei Otani to at least make the MVP discussion a real argument. Do you still feel that way or has judge getting to 60 and almost inevitably 61 and 62 over these last nine games? Um, well, I guess not inevitably, but very likely, do you still think it's open or, or if judge gets this, that's more or less clinching it. Well, so the Yankees struggling during that time period had less to do with actually Judge's candidacy than it did about Otani's candidacy. Because one of the things that's enough against Otani's candidacy for MVP constantly is the fact that the Angels are the Angels and they're awful. <laughs> and, um, you know, the fact that, you know, that's also used as an argument against Judge when Judge's, you know, he, he was at that point very consistently, you know, being the offensive threat that he was. Um, while the Yankees were losing, I thought that kind of negated the argument against Shohei Otani. Now, that being said, I think the thing that has changed the last couple of weeks is that Aaron Judge is now very realistically, potentially a triple crown winner, yeah. while also, uh, you know, breaking Roger Maris's uh, home run record uh, for the American League. I think that is the thing that has, that has shifted, is that Judge's average has kind of climbed up in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I, I think it's very emblematic of just the entire magic of his season at the plate where in an era where he's often very emblematic of this launch era, launch angle era where he's got an uppercut swing and he's going for the offensive. But what he does differently than a guy like Joey Gallo, for example, is that, you know, he hits the ball to right field. He hits the ball the other way. He's just a really, really good hitter who happens to integrate this launch angle era kind of mindset towards his approach at the plate and I think that is ultimately what makes him special. It makes this season something that we're going to be talking about to our kids and our grandkids when we think about the greatest, not just offensive seasons of all time, but just kind of greatest single season performances across sports all time. You know what the logical end point, though, is, right? Like Aaron Judge wins the MVP because he gets the triple crown and sets the home run record, and Shohei Otani comes out next year, and he's like, what if I win both triple crowns in one year? <laughs> I mean, if there's one guy that could do it, it's Joey Otani, right? Yeah. The wins might be hard to come by there, but yeah, I mean, he's got a 247 ERA and he's sixth in strikeouts in, in major league baseball right now. He's like, he's not far off the AL triple crown as it is on the pitching side. So um, maybe it's possible. So you mentioned that as the Yankees struggled, Aaron judge was kind of the, the high tide, keeping them uh, afloat to butcher uh you know, to, to trailer park boys, a metaphor there and, and butcher it. The Yankees since the trade deadline have been almost exactly league average at the plate. Um, I think they're 12th or, or 13th in WRC plus, which controls for a number of factors and puts everyone on the same, uh, the same plane. And, and you look at their individual stats, They've had some guys who have been okay since the deadline. Josh Donaldson's actually hit a little better than he had earlier in the season. Um, Andrew Benintendi's come around a little bit. 
uh, Oswaldo Peraza when, when he's played and, and even Oswaldo Cabrera. But for the most part, this has been a team floated by Aaron Judge. And I, I'm curious as to your confidence level in their offense being able to hit enough in the postseason, which feels crazy when you have a guy in the middle at the top of that offense who might break the home run record. And you also have Giancarlo Stanton and guys like that lurking. Uh, but this is like not a small sample at this point. It's almost two full months of this being judge and a slightly below average offense around him. So where is your confidence level in the offense as a group heading into the postseason? Well, I think one of the big red flags for the Yankees right now is DJ LeMahieu and his foot-toe situation that has kind of been lingering around him for a couple months now. Like, he's tried to brush it off a couple times and be like, ah, I don't think that's a big deal. Like, I'll be fine. And then it comes back, and it's like, ah, well, this is a little bit of a bigger deal. They've played orthotics. They've done all this stuff. And LeMahieu, I think, is throughout the course of his entire Yankees tenure, been kind of one of the most consistent offensive threats for this team on a night-to-night basis. You know, they've lost Matt Carpenter, who was obviously just on his power surge through 47 games. Um, he could potentially come back for the postseason. I mean, Anthony Rizzo has been uh, a home run hitter for this team uh, so far this season. John Carlos Den, you know, as much of as, as, you know, his reputation is as an offensive threat, he's got an on-base percentage below 300 this year. He's got, you know, half a win love replacement, uh, despite having 28 homers. Uh, and he's been kind of in and out of the lineup as well. Um, you know, they're depending on a guy like Harrison Bader, who has, you know, in six games so far, the Yankees has hit like 295. Um, but it's a big concern for this team. I mean, I, I still think that they have a really, really good shot of coming out of the American League because of the strength of their rotation. Um, they've rested Nestor Cortez. He had his stand on the, the IL as well. You know, Garrett Cole has, has been, you know, for the most part, uh, a, a very good pitcher throughout the course of most of the season. Most of the season, he hasn't been his best self, but he's been pretty good. And Jameson Time's been pretty good. They're supposed to get Luis Severino back at some point as well. Uh, I, I still believe in the depth of this Yankees, you know, t- roster up and down. Um, but the injuries are going to be a factor, and, and it's a major reason why this team hasn't looked like the kind of historic record-setting team that we, we saw in the first half of the season. You mentioned the rotation, and let's talk about it a little more just because, I mean, they are here in Toronto, and we're going to see, you know, the probable pitchers are, are currently lined up to be Severino tonight and then Tyon and Cole. Um, is that plus Cortez the playoff rotation for these guys? How does a, a Frankie Montes, if he's healthy, or a Domingo Herman factor into this group? Well, I think Herman is not going to be in the rotation. And, okay. and Aaron Bruni yesterday addressed the fact that uh, Montas going on the injured list, um, he's probably in a position right now to be set up as a reliever or maybe an opener. Aaron Boone's had around maybe 40 pitches because, you know, the Miley season is ending. There's not a whole lot of rehab opportunities. But I think just from a performance standpoint, like the guys that you mentioned, Cortez, Garrett Cole, uh, James and Tyler, Luis Severino, those are kind of the guys the team has relied on uh, when healthy to be kind of the mainstays of, of the rotation. Cortez especially, I mean, he's, he's had an incredible season, um, you know, two and a half year array uh, and has kind of <laughs> been, been making do with not having a, a, a high 90 fastball with his deception and everything. Uh, I think that those are the core guys that are going to lean on. And for the most part, you know, they've been consistent throughout the course of the entire year. You know, Garrett Cole hasn't necessarily been the, had his best season, but he still has a three and a half ERA 
Um, and it, it is, you know, on any given night, he's got some of the best stuff in baseball. Yeah. You know, there's no team that's like, oh yeah, I hope we get, uh, Garrett Cole in the playoffs. That's just, that's not a thing that'll, that'll happen. Um, the blue Jays are a team you've gotten to look at a couple times. I know you, you did that big Boba Shed feature. That was so great early in the season. Um, they've been to New York. You've been here. When you look at the Yankees playoff landscape, and we can be pretty certain the Yankees are going to end in the two seed. They're, they're not going to catch the Astros there for the top seed. They would play the winner of the AL central team against the third wild card. Now, of course you can't be picky and the Yankees have no control over this or very little control. Rather. Do you think that there's a team in that wild card bunch that they would most or least want to play in a five game series? Oh man, that's a really good question. I mean, I I think, I I think all those teams are really, really sneaky. Good. I mean, I think they would rather play the Mariners than the Blue Jays or the Rays just because I think that both of those teams have playoff, more playoff experience than the Mariners do. Um, but, but there's also a level of they've seen these, these guys, the Blue Jays and the Rays, uh, so many times. Um, I, I personally believe in the talents of the Jays and the Rays more than I, I would the Mariners. And I'm always of the belief that when it comes to October, like you should just never count out Tampa Bay because they just have an endless factory of relievers with – Names that, you know, we've never heard of that are going to come out and throw 100 miles per hour and uh, have the nastiest flyer you've ever seen. So, I mean, I, I was, I'm just never counting out those those teams. And, and the Jays have been playing well in September after kind of struggling there for a bit in August. And so, uh, you know, that's still one of the most talented roster cores in, in all of baseball. And uh, they've, they've got experience under the belt now, which is something that they did not have last year uh, heading into uh, the, the playoff stretch um, in the last month. The part of the Jays turnaround has been the play of Bo Bichette. And I, I bring this up because, again, you did that piece early in the year about Bo's kind of mental approach and where he fits in the leadership dynamic of this group and stuff. And I believe it was mid-August we had you back on the show. And we were talking about a number of things because the the Yankees were, were playing the Jays once again. Um, but one of the things was, yeah, Bo Bichette's struggling a little bit. He's not having the season we had hoped. Uh, since then, he has been short of Aaron Judge and Mike Trout probably the hottest hitter in the American league. Um, Nice for you to see that come around and and kind of affirm what you wrote near the start of the year, which was that this guy's mental approach is going to make him pretty resilient to the ups and downs of a baseball season. Yeah. I actually had a conversation with Bo when they were in New York last time around. And he was talking about the fact that, you know, he's, Kind of, he's. I think he's worked really hard to just let go of what other people are saying, what other people think, and really just focusing on the craft, the love of the game, and all the cliches that these athletes, you know, spout out to the media at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these guys take them to heart, and so it's a lot of just like taking things day by day. You know, I think he's really gotten off of social media from from what he said, uh, and he's just trying to focus day to day. You know, since that conversation that I've had with him, I, I've kind of noticed when I have watched Bo that there is definitely just a shift in the way that he's he's kind of gone about his business. And, you know, I think that it's co- this mental kind of shift has, has coincided with his, his hot streak as a place that has, you know, brought up all of his numbers in, in the last uh, last month of the season. It's been great. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun to uh, to watch it and see him kind of round into form like that. And again, to like kind of kind of what you had uh, you had written about um, Jay's Yankees. These next three, of course, the Yankees can clinch the the AL East. 
the Jays can clinch a, a playoff spot. We kind of think both of those things are going to happen anyway. It, w- it would take a pretty statistically unlikely thing for for either of those teams to, to fumble the bag here. Um, what are you looking for from this three-game series then, whether it's, you know, how Severino looks in start number two back, um, you know, the Jays' strength heading into a potential playoff series. What, what's your eye on most non-Aaron Judge division uh, for for these next three days? I think it's the pitching staff for the Blue Jays, and it's looking at that the bullpen and also the rotation um, because, you know, I think at this point we can kind of depend on Alec Manoa and, uh, you know, Kevin Gossman to, to be pretty good and, and Jordan Romano to, to have his stuff. Um, but I'm curious how the rest of that, that Blue Jays uh, bullpen looks. And, you know, are we talk, I feel like every single time I, I come on your show, we talk about uh, Jose, Jose Barrios and how disappointing he's been. Um, you know, like but, uh, Barrios is a guy who still has, he has, he has not that unrecently has shown the ability to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, who knows what's going to happen in terms of how the Blue Jays are going to handle him. Just given the fact that he's got, you know, a negative half win above replacement this season. I'm just really curious to see how the Blue Jays manage that pitching staff, because especially with Ryu down, like they're, they're that is kind of the, the glaring weakness of this team. And at this point in the year, every single team has had injuries and they have glaring weaknesses, I think, except for the Dodgers. And you can maybe point to their rotation. Um, you can pick holes in a lot of teams. But for me, that how the Blue Jays handle their pitching staff uh, and how they set up their pitching staff, I think it's going to be very indicative of whether or not they're going to have success in the postseason and uh, what this team is going to prioritize heading into next year as well. Uh, in the offseason. Yeah, it's a, that one is a giant question. Obviously, the how you manage a wild card rotation and if things go your way, how you manage the rotation beyond that when you kind of have three and a half starters you trust. But yeah, the offseason question with, you know, no top prospects higher than a cup of coffee in double A and you know, something like 50 million in, in iffy money to pitchers right now uh, could be a tough one. Never a tough one to have you on, June. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out. Really appreciate it and keep up all the great work. Appreciate it, Blake. Thanks for having me on. June Lee of ESPN, of Around the Horn. Make sure you're checking out his coverage of the Yankees side of things on ESPN over the next couple of days as Aaron Judge continues to chase baseball history. Couple texts in the text line. Uh, Graham in Toronto says the Jays could be the 27 Yankees and they'd still lose in Tampa. Not if the 27 Yankees had Whit Merrifield, Graham. Uh, one person texting in saying 590 is the home of the Yankees fanboys. Yeah, man, we had a Yankees person on when the Jays are playing the Yankees uh, and their potential playoff opponents. Shocker. Uh, wild that we didn't get called pirates fanboys when a pirates person was on to talk about the Pirates series or when a guardians person was on to talk about a guardian series. Uh, this is how sports work. You talk to people who cover the team you're playing against, especially when one of them could set baseball history during this series. Um, and again, potential playoff opponents as well. Um, probably not until the ALCS given the way the bracket looks right now, but a lot can change over the course of 10 days, over the course of nine games. Um, this is a potential ALDS or ALCS preview of things go well uh, for the Blue Jays and, and go well for the Yankees. So uh, it is worth getting to know things like where is Luis Severino in his recovery from injury or how does Domingo Herman figure into the bullpen in a playoff series because... 
this is a team that you're hoping you see in a playoff series. That would mean things are going well for you. Um, Charlie in Ronsi uh, says, why are you not even remotely considering the very real likelihood that the Jays walk judge every time he's up the bat over the next three games? Um, that's certainly something you could suggest they do. I don't think they'll do it in part because they need to win these games um, and they'll judge each individual walk decision based on what it's like or like what the, the game situation suggests. Yeah. If you have a runner on second base and one out and first base is empty or something like that, whether it's intentional or the old unintentional intentional, you can, you can give them the, the free pass there. Surprisingly enough, and maybe it's not surprising because this is a, still a, a ridiculous number, but maybe I just have the Barry Bonds years in my head. Um, Aaron judge over August and September has a walk rate of just a little over 21%. That's huge. That's a that's a very big walk rate. Barry Bonds one season had a walk rate of 38%. So even as teams have adjusted to Aaron Judge being this hot and have started walking him more and more, you're talking barely half the walk rate that Barry Bonds had. Not to say anything of comparing their seasons other than how uh, opposing pitchers have handled them. Uh, the Red Sox over the weekend, by the way, Walk Judge two times in three games, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but they also walked them three times on Thursday. So um, there is that choice, and we'll see how Kevin Gosman, who doesn't walk barely anyone, double negative there, sorry, who rarely walks anyone, uh, we'll see how he handles it. And if the Jays, who have not revealed their probable pitchers for the series yet, but if they stay on turn, we're expecting Jose Barrios and Mitch White, two guys who have occasionally lost their control or occasionally in Barrios's case, lost your control, but edged toward the, the heart of the plate instead of off the plate for walks. Yeah, maybe you're a little more careful with, uh, with Aaron Judge. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to go deep, deep, deep into uh, my early career back in my, uh, back in my early days, my roots. Raptors Media Day was today. I missed all my friends down there. So we're going to have Alex Wong on of the Raptors show you know him. You love him. Uh, the Raptor Show coming back soon. They actually released a podcast, uh, him and Will Lou, um, from Media Day, kind of behind the scenes notes. So check that out on the Raptor Show podcast feed uh, a little later. Don't turn off the show right now to do it. But Alex is going to join us. In addition to the Raptor Show, Alex spent a couple days down at Rogers Center with the Toronto Blue Jays social media teams and wrote a terrific, terrific piece in the Toronto Star in the weekend edition not just about those people, but about how they weave into the fabric of this team and the fan base and community around it. So Alex Wong is going to join us next on JSOC Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Starting Monday, be sure to tune into the JD Bunkus podcast weekday mornings at 9 on Sportsnet 590 The Fan or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Joined now by co-host slash producer of the Raptor Show, which is returning soon to Sportsnet 590 The Fan and has existed with Banter Pods and today's Media Day special at the Raptor Show podcast feed. He is also a writer for Toronto Star. He has authored the book cover story. He's got another one on the Raptors coming out sometime in the, in the next year or so called prehistoric. 
It is Alex Wong. Alex, how are you, man? Damn, that resume is deep. What's going on, Blake? So nice to chat with you on Jay's Talk Plus. What's good? It's uh, it's a good day. The Yankees are here, obviously. Could be an historic home run the next couple days. More importantly, the Jays are uh, the Jays are playoff bound. Um, you got to spend a couple days pretty close to that Jays team while you are. And I want to talk about the PCRO for Toronto Star on the weekend, but um, you got to shadow their social team a little bit. What did you pick up from being that close and that intimate with the team? Because you were at a level that, you know, we don't get that on, on the Raptors side. We don't get that on the Jays side. That was pretty special access you had for, for a little bit there. Yeah, you know, shouts to uh, Madeline and the Blue Jays uh, marketing PR team for helping to set it up. You know, this was a story, you know, going behind the scenes and shadowing the Blue Jays social team that I wanted to do last year when when the Jays finally came back to Toronto. Because one of the things that I've noticed, and I'm sure you know this too, Blake, like being in the Twitter space, is a, a lot of times I think team accounts get roasted or, you know, social media managers uh, become memes when, when, you know, team accounts send out certain tweets. And there's like a certain level uh, that I think team accounts try to get to, whether it's in baseball, basketball, or across different sports, where they really want to connect with the fans. And, you know, the success varies depending on the team. And one of the things I really noticed during the pandemic, the start of the pandemic, was that the Blue Jays account really did uh, a great job of that, especially when the team was not in Toronto, providing that behind-the-scenes look, developing the personalities of the different players on the team and really engaging with the fans with a, with a really younger voice. And it kind of goes back to when, you know, uh, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins took over the team. You know, th they talked about changing the culture and a lot of that stuff. And I think people maybe just rolled their eyes at a lot of that stuff. But for me, when you look at the different departments, aside from the on-field product, you know, social media is such a huge thing in, in today's world, especially for teams. And I was just really impressed with what they had done. And obviously, I know some of the people behind the scenes, including Ali Khan, who, uh, you know, worked for the Raptors previously. Mm -hmm. And this was just something that I really wanted to, to dive into because I do feel like the Jays were doing something different and better than a lot of baseball teams. And, and this is the one thing that when I sat down with everybody uh, on that social media team, one of the things that I asked them was like, you know, like, how are you, what is the challenge of making baseball cool? Because I think basketball is cool to a younger audience uh, for, for all the culture crossovers and, you know, the, the way that the players open themselves up. I think football can be cool in a, in a kind of way. And like baseball is very, you know, rooted in tradition, um, you know, rooted in unwritten rules and all of this stuff. And, and, and you know, for, for me, like that was where the conversation started in terms of like wanting to explore why they were making things, how they were able to make baseball cool, because to me, that's one of the hardest things to do in sports. And this piece, uh, again, it was at the Toronto Star on the weekend edition. It's called Inside the Blue Jays Social Media Machine, How a Small Team Built Trust in the Clubhouse and Brought Fans Along for the Ride. And the people you highlight, um, a friend of ours, Ali Khan, Rav Jayani, Richard Lee Sam, Christine Desjardins, um, a, a whole team there, obviously. And, and there are a few things you said that I, I want to pull out and focus on a little bit more, Alex. And I know something that you've been passionate about on the Raptor side and as a member of the media and a consumer of the media here in Toronto in general is that the makeup of the media hasn't always reflected what the team looks like on the court or on the field and especially hasn't looked like uh, reflected what the fan base looks like. And, and I'm curious as to your take on... You know, these are the uh, Ali Khan and Richard are people of color. They are the team is 
has, you know, not a, a lot of white players on it. And, and you look around the fan base, whether it's um, Jelani Morgan's excellent Black Jays series at West End Phoenix right now or, or Keyshawn's work uh, f- photographing the Jays as well. Um, there are a lot of creators of color around this team too. And I, I wonder your opinion on how that has helped not only make baseball cool, but connected to this city that, you know, is seeing more representation on the field and off the field now. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great thing to to call out. You know, it wasn't something that uh, I made explicit in, in the story, but but I hope from people learning, uh, you know, about just the backstories of, of Ali Khan and Richard, like you mentioned, um, you know, I, I think when you're able to have these diversified backgrounds in, in any sports coverage is great. And one of the things that I've thought about a lot, especially here in the city of Toronto, is... Um, you know, across the different sports, you know, whether it's photographers like, you know, Keyshawn Mystery or, you know, Nelson Campana with the Raptors um, or, you know, even including myself and Will, you know, doing the Raptor show. There's a lot of minorities in these positions of power in terms of creating content, whether it's front of the camera and behind the scenes. And, you know, I think Ali Khan and Richard are just one of those many examples. And, you know, I do agree with you. You know, I think based on the the mix of, of the clubhouse and just the mix of just baseball players that you see across the league, you know, having those two uh, being in that position and, and kind of understanding, um, you know, these players is very important. And I think the second thing, too, is just like, I know this is like this is like a very maybe obvious thing, but you know you want people that are very tapped in with social media. Mm-hmm. Like, like Ali Khan and Richard clearly grew up in the social media space, um, and there's like a funny bit in there. You know, one of the guys who on the social media team, a bit older, George uh, shouts to George. Like he, you know, when I was sitting down with him, he was like, "Yeah, I don't understand what Richard tweets half the time. <laughs> like he doesn't understand when there's the rap references, or you know, he he'll obviously pull like whatever is the meme of the day on Twitter and maybe make." like a funny reference to it. And and he's like, I don't understand it. But but, you know, all the people there are very supportive of them, because they understand that their goal at the end of the day is just to drive that engagement. So I think I think it's a combination of having that diversity, but also just like recognizing that you can trust people um, in that social media space, trust younger people in that social media space to deliver a connection with the fans. Because I think, you know, at any job that you're at, whether it's like a sports organization or just a company that you work at, you know, when you have that empowerment from your bosses and, and, you know, I think empowerment's a corporate term that people love to throw around a lot. But like what I saw when I was there, um, you know, from the shadowing of the social media team and talking to a lot of people behind the scenes, like you you can really see that Ali Khan and Richard are really just running that social media feed themselves and they have the full trust of the team behind them. And I can't, I can't emphasize how important that is because you, you know, when you're sending out tweets and you're taking some risks um, and you're making the account more fun, it's like you don't want to be looking over your shoulder all the time. It's true. And, and, you know, it's there's an element of sometimes uh, having a good Twitter account is about the tweets you don't send as well. But you got to you got to send you <laughs> this gotta tweet send. has been deleted. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, it's the American psycho meme. I, I have some tweets to delete instead of videotapes to return. Um, but no. So you, you mentioned a couple words there and empowerment was one of them. Trust is one I want to come back to. Uh, but one that comes to mind in reading your story and hearing you talk about the freedom kind of Ali Khan and, and 
and Richard have to just tweet as if they're Jays fans tweeting from the the Blue Jays account is authenticity. And I, I think that that's something that a lot of whatever your sport, whatever your business, I mean, we went through that era maybe seven, eight years ago where like every Twitter account was trying to be the snarky Wendy's account. It's like, you're a corporation, man. You're just here to plug products. Um, but that authenticity piece feels so so important why do you think that's been elusive for a lot of either sports teams or companies is it as simple as well the jays get it right by just hiring two people that they have their faith in yeah you know i think teams fail at the social media thing when they don't aren't willing to take too many risks you know when when they just want to be a bland account and when they want to play it safe all the time. Now, this is not to say that, like, I don't think the Jays account ever kind of, you know, goes overboard, uh, you know, with their jokes or, or, or with their content. Uh, but there's like a comfort level there of, you know, it's like this invisible handshake between the fan base and the account where they are both rooting for the team. Uh, and, and I think that's very evident based on just the excitement from the account, especially when the team is doing well. Um, I think the biggest flaw for teams is just like, like you mentioned, you know, at the end of the day, they are corporations, you know, they report to brands. Um, and a lot of times people look at social media just as a space of not wanting to fail uh, and not wanting to screw up instead of looking at it uh, the opposite way of like wanting it to be a standout product of their team, which which I think the Jays have adopted so far. And I think it's great because like, you know, we remember like the transition from like, you know, Alex, Alex Anthopoulos into this era was like pretty bumpy. Um, and the general Q rating of, of the front office and of the franchise was very low. Now, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, you have to have a winning product on the field, with the, which the Jays have had the last couple of years. But when you pair that with a successful social account, um, I think that's only drives the engagement and drives the reputation of the organization further. So, like, if you want to be, like, cynical about it at the end of the day, like, having a great social media account is just great for the brand and great for the corporation as a whole. Yeah, the way you, you set that up, I, I'm going to put it in sports terms, Alex. Some accounts are tweeting not to lose. The Jays are tweeting to win. <laughs> that that's right. No, straight up. Like that's really what I'm. That's really what I'm trying to say. And like I haven't been in those rooms behind the scenes with these different teams, you know, with the decision makers and the things that they say. But I think a lot of times when you see content from these social media accounts, you know right away, right? Like you talk about the authenticity. And one of the things that Richard told me about was just that like, we're not trying to be the funniest account every single time. Like we're there to service the fans. And, and I think that's social media 101 too, especially when you're tweeting from a team, it's you can't think about just wanting to be like the center of attention all the time as an account. Like you mentioned, like like people were just always, you know, probably five, six years ago, always trying to go viral, always coming up with the different memes. I think that's definitely part of what the Jays do. But then on the flip side, it's like when Jose Barrios gets to like 300 career strikeouts or when Vladdy gets to 100 career home runs, like they have standard tweets there because those are milestones that they want the fans to celebrate and they don't want to get in the way of that by coming up with some like over the top witty caption which they could probably do when like Alejandro Kirk hits a home run or something in the third inning of a game yeah and that's you know it, it's kind of a, a lesson from you know when Vin Scully passed and everyone's reflecting on what made him so special at his job the ability to let a moment breathe and exist on its own and not feel the need to talk over it applies to social media as well um, Alex you mentioned the word trust a couple of times and obviously you can have the best social media team in the world you can have the wittiest captions none of this is going to connect as well if the players aren't on board with this either and a big thing that came through in your story and this was 
specifically about Alicon, but I'm sure it's for the entire social and digital team uh, as a whole. But the way that he and they have kind of become part of the fabric of this team, there is such a huge trust element there that not to compare across sports, the only time I've ever, I can ever really remember seeing that level of, of connectedness between a roster and the social team is open gym and open gym is, you know, very different than just a social account. What is it that has, whether it's Ali Khan or, or the makeup of the team allowed for that connection at such a deep level where these guys talk about Ali Khan and, and Richard, like they're part of the team or part of the family. Yeah, you know, uh, Santiago Espinal was so excited to to talk about Ali Khan. And, and this didn't make it into the story, but I know John Schneider wanted to be quoted in the story basically saying that, you know, Ali Khan is the man. Um, you know, he, <laughs> he was telling Ali Khan that he's like, make sure whoever's writing this story puts that in there. Um, and, and, you know, I think when it comes to the trust, you know, I think like you've been you've been in these locker rooms and, and clubhouses, uh, I think when there's a familiar face and they respect number one, I think they respect the work that's being put in. By, by all of these people, um, you know, beyond just AK Richard, you know, George, Christine, Nico, John, and the whole team. I think when you're showing up at the ballpark every day, the same way that they are, when you're traveling on the road, like Ali Khan did uh, during the pandemic, when they weren't playing in Toronto and you're there every day, I, I think that alone, there's a respect level there. And then number two, I think when they see the content and they, when they see that this is not an invasion of privacy because privacy i think is a huge thing to a lot of these athletes when they realize that it's not an invasion of privacy when they realize that the content there is to really drive the fan engagement and in a way really build up a lot of these players right like you think about like vladi um you know speaks through an interpreter um you know he's not say you know if you want to uh, do a toronto comparison like a fred van fleet or a scotty barnes like out there doing interviews all the time doing their own podcast video series like the social media feed is really the only place where you've gathered a lot of these behind the scenes moments um and obviously the home run jacket is very prominent but i'm thinking about just like dugout moments too that like vladdy shares with george springer and some of these players um but on the flip side so i think those are the main things and on the flip side like when i was talking to uh you know espinal he did mention like certain guys don't particularly not that they don't love the social media feed but they don't love the spotlight right boba right. shet was one that he named um alejandro kirk was another one that he named so you know i think all credit to 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 ak and and richard in that I, I think they've built a comfort level with the players that they know that hey after a win you know those cameras might be in their faces you know coming off a sweep to the angels you know, it might be a little quieter in the clubhouse. And I think it's just about reading the room and building the trust. And it was really cool because, like, the game that I was there, the first game that I was there shadowing, it was the Cubs series at the start of this month. And Marcus Stroman was coming back, and, and he did a whole big media scrum uh, to open the series. And Ali Khan was telling me how, like, Marcus Stroman and Vladdy were really the two players who were the first to really embrace him. And I'm not surprised based on what we know about Vladdy's personality and uh, based on what we know about how much Marcus Stroman loves to self-promote on social media, <laughs> he probably did not mind having a social media manager around. No, probably tried to hire him for his own. Like if Stroman, <laughs> if, if Stroman had stayed and got that big contract that he wanted to stay in Toronto long term, we we all might have lost Ali Khan to the to the Stroman team. Um, all right, Alex, I, I want to do a couple quicker, lighter ones with you. Um, Let's do it. I guess first of all, you were around that team, and you're a Jays fan. What where's your confidence level at right now that this team? I mean, they're going to make the playoffs at this point, but that they can do a little bit in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I feel pretty good. You know, I was I was kind of shook, you know, at the front end of that Tampa series because, you know, it's never fun going into, you know, Tropicana Field. But I thought, like, the last two games was was just obviously so important for them to respond and come out of there, not tied, not, like, one-up and restore that two-game lead here coming into, like, the final week of the season. You know, we'll, we'll see, man. Like, I just, you know, in general, I just don't like seeing Tampa, like, even <laughs> if it's a wild-card series at the Sky Dome. Uh, I mean, the Rogers Center, shouts to the company. Um, but, like, I, I, I like their chances. I like their chances. I think I think a lot of bullpen concerns might be creeping back now. But I'm, I'm also of the mind that, like, you know, I think once this team gets to a short series, they've got a really good rotation. You know, I, I think, I mean, we've seen these, these guys could explode for 18 runs in <laughs> any game. So you would hope that these bats might carry them for one or two, even if they're going against top-tier pitching in the postseason. So, you know, I, I like their chances, man. That's the thing I love about baseball uh, playoffs. Probably my favorite baseball playoff format out of all the major sports is, like, once you get in and you lock in for a couple of weeks, like, honestly, anything can happen. Like, the Atlanta Braves won last year. That's why I contend if the Jays made it in last year, they would have won it all. I they, truly believe that. They may have, and they were playing good baseball at the right time, and you can go back, you know, sometimes it's a little frustrating when a team like the 2015 Royals wins, and, and it's like, well, they didn't have a good player. How'd you win the World Series? But it does mean there's always hope. Um, so the Jays have the potential here. If the season ended right now, they'd be hosting that three-game Wild Series wildcard series all at Rogers Center. Um, Alex, I know you were at the bat flip game back in the day. I know you went to a bunch of those games over 2015, 2016, among, you know, if you were kind of ranking or, or contextualizing fan experience in general across all sports, how high does a must-win baseball postseason game rank for you? Oh, man. Like that Jose Bautista bat flip game, and everybody remembers that inning uh, when everything took place. Like when Bautista hit that home run, like I was sitting in the media section at, at the Rogers Center, and like the building, like when people are like, yo, the building was shaking, like the building was literally shaking. And, you know, for me, that I put that up there. I put that up there with being there for, like, the Kawhi shot uh, against Philly. I think there's nothing like a, a baseball crowd in the playoffs. And I love the drama of the playoffs because just every pitch counts. Like, every pitch counts, especially when you get into those high-leverage situations in the late innings. Like, you just cannot turn off the TV or you can't. Like, when you're at the arena, like, you are completely locked in. Like, nobody's going for loony dogs, Okay. <laughs> Like, like when it's game three of the wild card series. So for, for me, like the baseball playoff experience, uh, you know, I think it's I think it's second to none. And that's why, like, I've been a Jays fan, you know, since like 93. You know, I moved to this country right at the tail end of them winning the back to back World Series. Like, you know, I've, I've followed them very closely since then. And we've only got a brief taste of the postseason. And thankfully, they've all been very dramatic. Um, and, and, you know, I expect, you know, this team loves drama too. So like, you know, good or bad, good or bad. However they do in the playoffs, you know, it's going to be pure drama. By the way, uh, this Tuesday of this Yankee series tomorrow could be the last Looney dogs day of the season. We don't, uh, we don't know if the Jays <laughs> are going to continue it into the postseason, well. <laughs> but we do know that they wouldn't host a playoff game on a Tuesday until potentially the world series. Um, oh, that would be, that would be, that would be amazing, man. I, I would love to just be lining up for, for a loony dog <laughs> as uh Teoscar Hernandez hits like a go ahead three run Homer in the world series. Well, I'm yeah. going to be at the Yankee series yeah. this week. Um, so I'm excited for that. I'm going to try to get some loony dogs. Where, where sure. were you for Joe Carter's touch them all home run? Oh, I was in line for a $1 hot dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So 92-93, this is the 30-year anniversary of the 92 World Series. Um, obviously, a lot of fashion from that time and team merch from that time has kind of come back in vogue now, not only because vintage is kind of having a, a moment right now, um, but also because the Jays have given some of it away and things like that. Uh, do you have a holy grail Jays merchandise item? Like, like if I could just magically give you any merch item from Jays history, what would it be? Yeah, how about like a Eric Hansen uh, authentic uh, road uh, Blue Jays jersey? You know, I think there's, I think, I think there's a particular era there. I'm thinking about like you know Joey Hamilton. I'm thinking about when we had Randy Myers as a closer. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think, man. Like even a Raul Mondesi. Oh yeah. Like there was that era when 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 the Jays were when when the Jays were like okay, like they were trying to get back into contention, but the a- AL East was too difficult. Um, those are the type of jerseys I like because because you know you know me, Blake. Like I love my obscure jerseys. You know the other jersey I like to see more of is Carlos Delgado. Mm. I don't see a lot of Carlos Delgado jerseys. And, you know, when I'm ever talking to my buddies about baseball, I'm like, man, like I know, like, especially in the Del- Delgado and even the Halliday era, like they never made the playoffs. But like, man, like Delgado was a beast. And, and you know, when, when I when I go to the park, like I want to see some of those throwbacks. Um, and if you want to go to present day, too, um, I mean, I'm an owner of a Shung uh, Yamaguchi jersey. <laughs> um, so which I'm really proud of. Actually, one of my favorite jerseys I own, like I got a Vladdy uh, uh, Buffalo Bisons jersey. Nice. When, when he was coming up. Um, so, so that, that one is a favorite as well. I want to see more Kevin Gosman jerseys. I see a lot of Manoas, um, and, and rightfully so, but, but where are the Kevin Gosman stands? That's what, that's what I want to know. I haven't spotted a Gosman jersey at all going to the park this year. I mean, Manoa does have the one extra year of advantage and being a younger guy, maybe you have more confidence long-term, but yeah, it's, uh, the Raul Mondesi shout is a good one. I just looked up his baseball reference page when they traded him to the Yankees. They got back Scott Wiggins, uh, a left-handed reliever who pitched two innings in his career. So not a great trade for the, for the Jays there. Actually, Jose Cruz Jr., to be honest, that's the one that I want. See, when you started talking about that era of Blue Jays, that's the image I had in my head. Sean Green from that era, too, would be be cool. But, uh, yeah, the post... The post-World Series, you're not a bandwagoner. You stuck around. That's the class of guy. Like, I'm still waiting for the next guy to hit like Tony Batista with the, the super open stance or something <laughs> oh, like that. Man. man, I remember listening to Fan 590 when they signed Roger Clemens. Unbelievable. Shows to the station. Um, all right, Alex, uh, before we let you go. So the Raptor show returns October 17th on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Um, but for now... The podcast feed, the Raptor show, wherever you get your podcasts, um, that's live. You guys have been doing the banter pods and stuff like that. You did one from down at Media Day today. How is Will doing in general, but also Yuta Watanabe in a in a Brooklyn Nets jersey and still having not read the Instagram DM? Is is Will holding up? Has he uh, has he moved on? What was that? <laughs> Shosa, Shosa, oh, was Derek that his Brandale. number? Yeah, okay. Raptor show okay. producer. Yeah, Derek knows. Will's, do- Will, Will's doing fine. He was walking around today calling himself a made man because he was wearing a Zara suit interviewing Chris Boucher. Oh, God. Um, so so he, he, seems, he, seems to, <laughs> he, seems, he seems to be doing just fine. You know, we're definitely trying to put the Utah Watanabe, uh, you know, debacle behind us but you know media day was cool you know i was thinking about it and we talked about it a little bit on the pod is that you know you think about the year when Kawhi was here you know media day was was an event 
And you even think about last year because they returned from Tampa. Like, that was a big deal as well. This year, it's like the summer was kind of boring. Like, you know, like, re-signed some players. You know, they all went to did their Rico Hines runs. Mm. You know, most of the roster is coming back. There's not really that one focal topic that people wanted to focus on, right? Like, so you got your usual topics about expectations for this season. You know, uh, how many minutes Fred is going to play. <laughs> um, but there's just no drama. Like, there's no drama. And, and maybe that's good, considering all the uh, all the drama that's been coming out of the NBA the last couple of weeks. Honestly, biggest question is, you know, does Wancho make the team? And is he an instant fan favorite? Not just because of hustle, but because, I mean, he had that awesome Eurobasket run. And, and then he he seems like a pretty cool guy. Yeah, no, definitely. And then, you know, uh, appreciate you mentioning that the Raptor show will be back on air 2 to 3 p.m. starting on October 17th, which means uh, Blake Murphy Tuesday will return on October 18th, maybe. Well, Blake Murphy Tuesday will return whenever the Jays are done. So hopefully later <laughs> oh, than that's right. hopefully later than <laughs> October 18th. Okay, uh, okay. We'll so see. hopefully I'll be working on Tuesday. Then. Yeah, right, I'll, I'll be it. having my, my Gabe Brown preseason takes will be ready. My uh, where does Wancho fit? I, I'll... I told you this. I don't think I've said it on air, but I talked to my close personal friend Adam Sandler about Wancho earlier this uh, earlier this summer. Right. We, we can rehash right. that and get into some of the scouting report. Um, Alex Wong of the Raptor Show, which is back October seventeenth and alive on the podcast feed um, of the Toronto Star cover story, prehistoric, all these things. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Clearly, by that extended byline, you're a busy man. So. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Go Jays. Let's sweep the Yankees. Let's lock down this number one wild card. Let's go. All right. Uh, Alex Wong, again, that piece at the Toronto Star was called Inside the Blue Jays Social Media Machine, How a Small Team Built Trust in the Clubhouse and Brought Fans Along for the Ride. Uh, excellent read on my guy Ali Khan Ravjiani, Richard Lee Sam, Christine Desjardins, the whole Jays digital and social team uh, that brings you as close as they do to this Toronto Blue Jays team. Speaking of this Toronto Blue Jays team, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to look at how they're lining up for game one of this series against the Yankees. It's a 7.07 first pitch. Ben Wagner will be on the call for you with Arden Zwelling on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Um, we'll tee up Kevin Gosman against Luis Severino and go through the lineups. Uh, we'll also take some of your texts to 590-590. Make sure you uh, put your name and location so we can shout you out. All that's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. I know that, I don't know if they still use it because I am not, well, I'm up that early the last couple of days for the Canadian women's basketball team in the FIBA World Cup. By the way, they're three and one. They're going to go through the quarters. They play at two in the morning, late tonight slash early tomorrow morning against Mali. Um, probably if you were going to miss one of the round robin games, that's the one because Canada should win uh, and they're relying on France to win. So Canada will get the top seed. Anyway, all those games are on Sportsnet. PVR because they're at weird times, um, but the quarterfinals, semis, and finals uh, go over the rest of this weekend into the weekend. So keep an eye out for that. You can keep an eye on my Twitter for uh, updates for that as well. And then again, all those games are on Sportsnet. So keep an eye out. Um, that song was the fan morning show entrance song for a little bit. My guys in the OBGMs 
uh, check them out. We've got a couple of little updates, nothing major, from around the Blue Jays, uh, Arden Swelling, and a number of others passing on that Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is in Toronto with the Jays. He's beginning a running progression, but not yet running the bases. Uh, Their hope is to get him into regular season games so he can get his timing back uh, before the playoffs. So he's got a 10-day window here. They'd like to see him in games before the playoffs. Santiago Espinal, they'd like the same thing. Uh, He is just starting T-work. Obviously, with an oblique, it's really hard to peg a timeline down for. So both of those guys, the team would like to have in games before having to make a, a postseason roster decision, um, whether they're they're ready to go. You certainly don't want a guy having to shake the rust off and, and play his way back in during a very tight three-game playoff series. That may be all that you have. Uh, it might be the only option you have. It's If it's either that or Otto Lopez is on the playoff roster, I think that's a, a fairly easy decision for the Blue Jays. But still, you'd like to have those guys in a few games. We're going to tee up the pitching matchup in the lineups for tonight, but uh, I want to take a look at a couple texts, a couple of your texts in the text line at 590-590. Um, apologies in advance if we don't get to all of them, but I'll try to get to a few here. Uh, Will in Oshawa likes my uh, my judge puns. Thank you, Will. A man of taste. Um, John from EG, I think that's East Quillenberry. Um He believes... Heads should roll if Manoa doesn't pitch in a wild card series and the Jays lose. Um, I don't know about heads will roll, but I agreed with you throughout the course of this discussion on Jays Talk Plus, John, that I care more about lining my rotation up than I care about home field. Now, I don't have playoff revenue on the line. I don't have a huge fan base that might be might prefer me to be at home. I'm not one of the players who could tell you if those 2015 and 2016 crowds really did help the game, which they very well may have. Uh, home teams win more often than away teams for a reason. To me, the gap between Manoa and the rest of the staff, the rest of the non-Gosman staff, is bigger than the gap between home and road. Um, but reasonable minds can disagree with us, John. Um, Tyler from London says, Aaron Judge is hitting 314. That means he gets out seven of every 10 at-bats. Walking him every time would just... Con- Confirm that you're more scared of having the historic home runs hit off of you than you are about winning the game. Uh, I agree, Tyler. And and when I mentioned earlier in response to um, Charlie in in Ronsi's question about walking every time, that was my point is you have to judge the situation on its own merit. Um, You know, I I don't think you're going to be in a scenario where you walk him with the bases loaded, give him the Barry Bonds treatment, the the Trey Turner treatment. Um, I don't think you're going to, if it's not a one-run game and the bases are empty, I don't think you're going to walk him. You're going to see pitchers pitch carefully, though. And Kevin Gosman will be an interesting test for Aaron Judge because Judge has homered off him three times before, but Gosman is elite at getting guys to swing at stuff outside of the zone. That chase rate is right up there among the league leaders. So, can he get Judge to expand the zone? You don't walk 21% of the time for two months if you don't have a really, really sharp eye. Now, Judge, this is something uh, my pal Samson Folk pointed out to me, and, and I, I apologize, I forget the source on it, but um, Aaron Judge gets some favorable calls at the top of the zone, 
and on average gets unfavorable calls at the bottom of the zone. Well, guess where Kevin Gosman likes to throw that splitter a lot. Could be a game to, to keep an eye on how long the strike zone is, especially against uh, Aaron Judge. But yes, walking him every single time would, you know, if anyone's ever seen the Mister the movie Mr. 3000, you can make a whole movie scene out of a pitcher trying to pitch around an historic hit, and it doesn't end well for the pitcher. Um, this person didn't sign, but they were very excited that Alex was on and said so much excitement for the return of the Raptors season and a Jays playoff run. What a time of year. I agree. I agree. Uh, Graham in Toronto says a Tom Hankey jersey would be his uh, holy grail Jays item, which is uh, not bad. Um, Jay Rich in Guelph thinks it would be cool for it to happen here for the history books, just not for uh, the pitcher. And as long as the Jays win the game. Yeah, that's the that's the big one. That's what I didn't really understand on Friday when a couple people were texting and angry. You can allow a home run and a win. That's uh, You can do that. Muzzin in Etobicoke says he has a 92-93 commemorative can of Coke unopened. Interesting. I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, Ryan M. and Barry has a Rance Mullenix throwback powder blue Blue Jays jersey. It's a good one. Um, so Ryan and Kaladin asks, um, so we were tracking, thanks to Ben Clemens' numbers at Fangraphs, what the best game to be at uh, to potentially catch a home run, uh, an historic home run was. And today, at that point, today was the best day to do it. Um, Ryan and Kaladin has tickets for Wednesday's game. I don't believe Ben has updated the odds. I will quickly control F his latest chat at Fangraphs. We'll see if, uh, no, he has not updated them. So I don't have probabilities for you. I would say, look, tonight he would have to hit two. Wednesday is probably, if you're looking at a 62nd, Wednesday's probably your best bet at this point because he needs two. Um, he is coming off of five games without one though. So obviously he's fallen off and uh, is bad now. So maybe he'll never hit one again. Nick in Little Britain says uh, Alex Gonzalez or Shannon Stewart jerseys. Those are good ones. Uh, someone said to check Eric Hansen's stats as a J on his uh, baseball reference page. Um, yeah, not not great. Alex Wong coming on and making us, reminding us of the time Eric Hansen started 35 games in a season with a 541 ERA and they just kept trotting him out there. Unbelievable. A couple more texts before we get to the lineups here. Vincent Aurora thinks it's inevitable that at least home run number 61 will be hit here in Toronto. Um, the good thing is you don't have to swap to the Yankees feed every time Judge comes up. Uh, yeah, it is probabilistically he's at least hitting one here. He's only gone, I think, five games without a home run. This is only the fourth or fifth time all year he's done that. Um, some of that is just random. It's not like he's had bad games. He's roped a couple doubles, taken a lot of walks. Uh, but yeah, he's, it's ridiculous to say he hasn't homered since I think Monday or Tuesday and he's due. It's ridiculous. Um, Ryan and Lefroy says, uh, original satin dugout jacket for his Holy grail item. That's a good one. Um, Ian from Guelph is going to the game tomorrow and hopes Judge hits two home runs and the Jays get more than three. Uh, Ian and Guelph was also the one excited about Alex being on the show, as I was. Cam in Bethany will trade his Brett Laurie and Marcus Stroman jersey for a pail of blue body paint 
for the playoffs. That's how badly he wants home field advantage. I don't have a, well, Cam, hang on, Cam, why would you trade two jerseys for a a pail of blue body paint? You could just go to the store and get blue body paint. You don't have to give up two jerseys for it. Um, Someone uh, thinking Barrios will serve it up nicely. Um, Zeke in London says a a JP and CBF first at bat home run jersey is his grail item. Um, Christian wants them to walk Aaron judge 12 times. Again, I don't think Kevin Gosman will do that because Kevin Gosman doesn't walk a lot of guys. That seems like a natural time to pivot to the pitching matchup tonight. So let's take a look. Kevin Gosman comes in three thirty two ERA two thirty eight fielding independent pitching. Again, that's the fan graphs metric that Weighs most heavily what a pitcher has the most control over. Walks, strikeouts, home runs. Gosman hasn't given up a lot of home runs, hasn't given up a lot of walks, strikes a lot of guys out. So by that metric, he's been maybe the best pitcher in the American League this year. Expected ERA and actual ERA care a little bit more about what actually happened, not what the pitcher had control over. By those metrics, he's very good, but not a Cy Young candidate. Part of the reason for that discrepancy is, as we've talked about all year, um, the batting average on balls in play against Kevin Gosman is ludicrous. So when an opposing batter puts a ball in play, so it's in the field of play, not a home run, 364 batting average. That is the highest since the turn of not this century, but last century. I kind of want it to stay this high. Obviously, I I want the the I would like the Blue Jays to lock up home field. I would like to be at those playoff games. But at this point, this being a story all season and him falling below the leaderboard cutoff would be, I don't know, be anticlimactic. By the way, if you wanted to up the innings pitch threshold to whatever Gosman has thrown instead of uh, qualified pitchers or, or 150 innings or anything like that, 356 is the high watermark um, for guys who got close to 200 innings. Um, That was Kevin Brown back in 1994. So he's got a little bit of room to fall there. Anyway, when guys can't hit the ball off Kevin Gosman, it's because of the following. He has a 99th percentile chase rate. No starting pitcher in baseball is better at getting guys to swing at pitches outside of the zone than Kevin Gosman. He also has a 97th percentile walk rate. Very few guys give the free pass more than Gosman. And balancing those two things together is difficult. It means you're working out of outside of the zone very effectively. Um, Gosman also grades very high by strikeout rate, by swing and miss rate. The issue is that he has been prone to give up hard hit balls. And when we talk about batting average on balls in play, not all those balls in play are created equal. And that's why Statcasts that expected ERA has him up around a three and a half ERA. It says, well, yeah, he's been a little unfortunate on balls in play. But he also allows a lot of hard contact. And as much as he's maybe had bad luck on singles and doubles, he's had what they would suggest is good luck on home runs. He's given up some real hard hit balls that didn't leave the park. Uh, He's only given up 14 home runs in 165 and a third innings. But the combination of a high barrel rate and the potential for high exit velocity has to put your eyes on Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is eight for 22 with three home runs and five walks against Kevin Gosman in his career. Not a lot of other threatening Yankees here. Giancarlo Stanton, five for nine against Gosman with a home run. 
But Giancarlo Stanton has not looked himself uh, since returning from the IL. Walk-off grand slam aside. Anthony Rizzo, two for 15 in his career against Gosman. Glaber Torres, one for seven. Josh Donaldson and Aaron Hicks have been okay in larger samples. Um, the other thing to watch is Kevin Gosman has reverse platoon splits, so righties have actually hit him better this year than lefties. The only pure lefty in the Yankees lineup is Rizzo. Everyone else is right-handed or, or a switch hitter. So we'll get into how the Yankees line up in a second, but they could stack the righties if they choose to. Gosman started twice at Yankee Stadium earlier this year. Over those two starts, two earned runs. Over 12 and two-thirds innings, uh, just 11 base runners to 16 strikeouts. So pretty good results against this team earlier in the year. Here's how the Yankees will line up against them. Aaron Judge, Anthony Rizzo, Glaber Torres, Josh Donaldson, Giancarlo Stanton, Oswaldo Cabrera, Harrison Bader, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, and Jose Trevino. So they're going righty-heavy. None of their switch hitters. Oh, Oswaldo Cabrera, sorry, is a is a switch hitter. So Rizzo is a lefty. Cabrera is a switch hitter. There are other two switch hitters, Marwin Gonzalez and Aaron Hicks, on the bench. Uh, so righty heavy to try to take advantage of the Gosman reverse platoon splits. And they just don't have a lot of lefties in general. Uh, this is why when Ben Nicholson Smith and I talked earlier about potential bullpen choices in the playoffs, maybe you decide differently for a series against the Yankees than you do against for a series against say Seattle or Cleveland that have a few more lefties and you might prioritize a, an extra lefty arm. The Yankees will start Luis Severino tonight. It's his second start off the IL. He's had a really good year. 336 ERA component metrics right around there. Striking out almost 28% of the batters he faces reasonable walk rate. Only thing is he's a bit home run prone when he gives up fly balls. It's been hard to hit him for contact. He's in the top 20% in the league in, in expected batting average, expected ERA, expected slugging. Um, pretty good at getting swing and miss stuff. His swing and miss stuff comes in the zone a lot, though, which will be interesting to watch because the Jays have done a good job or a, a progressively better job over the season, um, not chasing bad pitches and, and waiting for stuff that they can drive. Severino misses more bats in the zone. So we'll see how that balance plays out. Um, not a great stat cast page in terms of things like exit velocity and hard hit rate. Um, that seems counterintuitive when I say those expected numbers. Here's why, though. Severino gets a lot of low launch angle contact. So guys might hit a ball hard, but he doesn't let them hit it in the air hard. Part of that is he throws a 96-mile-an-hour fastball almost half the time. It gets a lot of the plate, but guys have poor contact on it. It's uh, you can get a hand, a lot of infield flies on it. A lot of weak pop-ups. Um, there's a deception and timing factor there with it for sure. Most importantly, he throws an 89 mile an hour changeup about a quarter of the time. And he tunnels that off the fastball extremely well. The release points are almost identical. It's hard to pick up on out of his hands. So the combination of those two pitches are great in tandem to the extent that he'll even throw that change up as his number two pitch uh, to lefties and number three pitch to righties. He then also has a slider. He'll throw a lot. It's his best swing and miss pitch. Uh, it's been worth seven runs for him over the course of this year. Uh, and then he'll mix a cutter in against righties as well. Jays have seen a lot of Severino over the years. He's struck active Jays out 35% of the time. So not great. Um, 
Jackie Bradley Jr., George Springer, Matt Chapman have all had rough, large samples against them. Teoscar Hernandez has struggled in a small sample, but Teoscar Hernandez is one of the best slugging percentages in baseball this year against fastballs, against four-seamers. So maybe a, a spot for him to uh, write those stats, correct those stats against Severino. Um, Bobachet, Vlad Guerrero, Whit Merrifield, all pretty solid against Luis Severino, but we're talking about pretty small samples there uh, in hitter-pitcher matchups. Severino also has your traditional platoon splits. Here's how the Jays will line up to try to get to him. George Springer at the top of the order in center field. Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Alejandro Kirk hits fourth as the designated hitter. Matt Chapman, Teoscar Hernandez, Rymel Tapia on left, Danny Jansen at catcher, Whit Merrifield at second. So again, the lone lefty in Rymel Tapia. Whit Merrifield continues to get playing time after uh, an extended stretch of not really playing much. This will be his, I think, sixth consecutive start. It's nice to see him finding a role and finding a comfort zone uh, with this team after after the shakier start as a Blue Jay. The Jays have confirmed now their starters for the rest of the series, if all goes to plan. Um, so tomorrow will be Jose Barrios against James Atayon, and then Wednesday will be Mitch White against Garrett Cole. Should be a very fun series. If you missed it off the top of the show, here's where we're at in terms of what's on the line. The Yankees' magic number to clinch the AL East is two. So a combination of two Yankee wins and Jays' losses, that means they could clinch tonight with a win. The Jays' magic number is four. So a combination of Jays' wins and Orioles' losses, they get to four, the Jays clinch. The bigger thing to keep an eye on, because those two things are almost inevitabilities, is that the Jays are two games up on Tampa and two and a half up on Seattle. That is for the top wildcard spot. That is for home field in that wildcard round, which will be three games all in one location. That is the goal right now. We talked to Ben Nicholson-Smith about it earlier. If you missed it, go check out the, the earlier part of the podcast. Once it's up, it's in the Blue Jays talk feed uh, or will be right after the show. Ben kind of laid out that the Jays are not hiding it. They're, they're being very honest about it. They want home field. They want it for the fans. They want it because they think they can play better there. Um, you've heard some of the guys talk about just how wild the crowds were in 2015, 2016. Some of you, maybe most of you were there. I was. It was awesome. Um, you know, 2015 as well as the 2016 wildcard series. Uh, it's a blast. So these guys are playing for that home field spot. There is a big, big advantage to winning in the earlier part of this week and locking that up because then we don't have to do the question of, well, do you start Alec Manoa in game 162 to get home field advantage? If you can lock that up before the Baltimore series, you can then spend that series getting guys rest as needed and lining up your rotation. So if it feels like these games don't matter a ton, a ton, because probabilistically the Jays are going to make the playoffs and the division is out of reach. I would say that it's not all wins are created equal in the final standings, but I would say for your playoff maximization or optimization, these next couple games carry a little bit more weight because it would allow you to put yourself in a better position for the postseason. And here on September 26th, that's what we care about. We care about the postseason. We care about the Jays magic number being down to four right now. Maybe you care about the Jays allowing or not allowing Aaron Judge's American League record tying 61st home run, New York Yankee record tying 61st home run. I'll be down at the game. 
it'll be a fun one. It's going to be a fun series. Looks like the dome's going to be closed because it's rainy outside, but uh, should be fun regardless. Keep the text coming tomorrow. Um, we're in the three to five slot all week this week. No funky times for the Jays. So I'll be back at three o'clock tomorrow. Drive time is next with Ben Ennis from down at Rogers Center. Ross Stripling on the show at six o'clock. So tune into that. Uh, ben Wagner and Arden Zwelling on the call for you at 7.07. And then Blair and Barker will be back for Jays Talk post game. Uh, thank you to Alex Wong for coming on. Thank you to Ben Nicholson-Smith. Thank you to June Lee. Thanks to JR and Derek behind the glass. Thanks for all the great texts. Let's go enjoy a baseball game. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.